Well, it's safe to say that I think most of us, if not all of us, so I always want to be hesitant when I say everybody or all of us, but I think we're all pretty close to this. In some way or another, we all long for greatness. We may have different expectations or, or different goals of what greatness looks like or means, but again, I think we all in some way or another are longing for greatness in our lives. Perhaps you view greatness as longevity, as your legacy. And so you're trying to build something, whether it be a, you know, a company or a family or just a, a who you're known to be. You're trying to build a legacy that will last far beyond your time here on this rock. Maybe when you think of greatness, you think of fame and prestige, or your, your name up in lights. You want to be the person who everyone's looking to. You want to be the one who, who's achieved that fame and fortune where you, you're a household name or you're known nationwide. Or maybe you long for the same thing, but on a much smaller level. Maybe you just desire to be recognized. Greatness for you is if your boss or your teacher or your parents say, hey, I saw what you did. Good job. That was hard work. You, you really uh, set a great example in that. I think in one way or another, we're all longing for greatness. Maybe you see greatness as amassing a, a fortune, whatever that looks like to you, and you can use that to either then relax in, or you can use that to uh, fund future goals and other goals or help others in, in their goals as well. Maybe greatness is, is building a strong family that's built on a, a loving marriage where you edify each other, where you make each other better, you encourage each other in who you are in Christ and, and, and raise, uh, raises and disciples kids well. Maybe pursuing or longing for a combination of all these things. Maybe greatness isn't any one of these, but it's, it's kind of the, the overall story of your life. Whatever you view, your view of greatness is, whatever your desire, whatever you're longing for, I think the other common ground that we have here is that there's an enemy that stands in, in the way. There's something that stands in the way of the greatness that you desire. Say, so even if that greatness is, you know, I, I just want to live my life fully for God. Whatever God asks me, wherever he calls me to go, whatever he asks me to do, whoever he asks me to talk to, whatever he asks me to sacrifice, whatever suffering that may bring, I just want to live my life fully surrendered to God. Whatever your greatness is that you're desiring, there is an enemy that stands in the way. And this enemy can inflict pain and injury. There's a story of a turtle. He's a Chicago turtle. And as a Chicago turtle, he'd never seen Florida before. And with winter coming, he wanted to see Florida. So this being a, a smarter turtle than the rest, decided if I can get two geese to let me run a line between them, I can hold on to the line as they fly south for the winter, and I can make it to Florida. And this turtle thought he was pretty smart, but he didn't have the ability to grasp the line. He got the geese, he told them that his plan, and they said, you're crazy, but we're in. This is awesome, let's do it. And he gets a rope, and he strings it between the two geese, and not being able to grip the rope, he says, okay, here's what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to chomp down on this line, and then just hold on until we get to Florida. And they say, that we're game, let's do it. And so they set all this up, and this Chicago tur tur turtle says goodbye to his family and friends. He says, hey, I'll be back after, after winter. I'm going south. I'm going to Florida. This is going to be amazing. I'm not even sure if I'll come back. It's going to be so awesome there. And so he gets this all set up. He chomps onto that line, and they take off. They get a few states away, and people start to notice this. They look up in the sky, and they see this turtle hanging from a line between two geese. And they say, wow, is that something? Who in the world thought of that? And the turtle, in all his pride, opens his mouth to say, I did. 
you can see how pride can cause injury when we're falling from the sky because we just had to take the credit for a good idea. The enemy has the power to cause embarrassment and ridicule. This enemy we're talking about of pride. When Ronald Reagan was governor, he was speaking in Mexico City. And these are his own words here. He says this as he tells a story. And I sat down to a rather unenthusiastic and not very impressive applause. And I was a little embarrassed. So you can see pride's already kicking in there. It was worse when a gentleman followed me and started speaking in Spanish, which I didn't understand, but he was being applauded about every paragraph. So to hide my embarrassment, I started clapping before everyone else until our ambassador leaned over to me and said, I, I wouldn't do that if I were you. He's interpreting your speech. And so here he is, another guy's getting all the applause, and he's like, oh, Man, how come I didn't get that? It's because no one understood what you were saying. You were speaking English, we speak Spanish, and so was the interpreter interpreting his own speech, and that's what, what he was applauding for. It can lead to all kinds of embarrassment where, where our pride all of a sudden leads us feeling like I'm, I'm in this position where people are looking at me or, or I don't know how to do something or I need to hide this or that. And man, this enemy we're talking about that stands between us and greatness is pride. See, when I think of pride, one of the ways that I visualize it is I visualize pride as being pregnant. Two different reasons why. First, I think, I think pregnancy is a good visualization of this word pride because it's enlarged. It's bigger than it typically is. And so um, when someone or something is pregnant, man, they're larger than they typically are because there's something growing inside. Uh, that's where the analogy breaks down because in pride, there's nothing inside. We're just puffing ourselves up. We're filling ourselves up with air, trying to make ourselves look bigger, sound bigger, feel bigger than we truly are. There's this expanded, bloated sense of self. The other reason I think of pride this way is because pride is a sin that often gives birth to more sin and heartache. Again, we, we, we clarified last week when we started the series um, Descending into Greatness that the pride we're referring to is that that elevation of self that puffing up of self it typically gives birth to some other kind of sin which is why i think of pride as being pregnant our pride will lead us down a road where we're willing to lie cheat and steal in order to save face in front of others you ever had a moment where you're tempted to or maybe even you gave into that temptation and you lied to someone because you didn't want them to know you didn't know what you're talking about you didn't want to be the one to have to say uh you all seem to know what's going on, but I don't. So can you, can, you, can you bring me up to speed, or can you slow it down a notch, or can you explain it to like, imagine there was a fifth grader in the room and he didn't know what was going on, can you explain it that way? We're not quick to say those things, because our pride gets in the way. Pride can be a road towards adultery and unfaithfulness. You can say things like, well, I know this isn't right, but man, I, I deserve this. Or I, you know, Maybe you're just trying to... Uh, Show yourself that I, I still have it. I, I still have the ability to attract another person and, and walk down this road. You make all kinds of excuses to do something you know is wrong. Pride gives birth to an arrogance that keeps us from admitting our own need. I'm reminded of a story. It's not a true story, but it makes the point of a man who is in a flood zone. And the floodwaters were rising, and they send the National Guard in with, with Humvees and all that. Say, come on, we're evacuating. you got to get out. The waters rise. He says, no, I'm a man of faith. God will save me. And they 
okay, not much else we could do. We'll just, you know, wish you well. And so they, they take off, and the water, waters rise. And now his first floor is flooded out. And uh, a guy comes by in a boat looking for any holdouts and comes across this guy's house and says, hey, get in. I mean, the, the, the flood waters have not stopped yet. There's more coming. you got to get to safety. Nope, nope, my, I'm, a, I'm a man of faith. God will provide. He says, all right, and off he goes, and the waters rise again, and now just a little bit of the roof is exposed, and he's sitting up out there, and he's trying to figure out what God's going to do, and a helicopter comes by, and, and they just by chance happen to see him. So they didn't think anyone would be foolish enough to still be out there, and they, they send down a line, and he waves them off, and he's trying to shout through the sound of the helicopter, no, no, God's going to provide, God's going to provide, and he just refuses rescue, and off they go. Flood waters rise, he drowns and dies. He finds himself before God Almighty. He says, God, why, why didn't you send me something? Why, why didn't you help me? I thought you were going to provide. He's like, what more do you want? I sent you a truck, a boat, a helicopter? Sometimes we have a hard time admitting our need. So, oh, no, I, I don't really need anything. I'm all, I'm all good, and we wave off help. I think where that really gets dangerous is we talk about our need for God. Our need to know our Creator, to know our God in heaven. I can think of people in my life that I've met where I, I, I actually there's one gentleman I think of who I always refer to as a functioning alcoholic. He was always able to afford his addiction. Um, when, when he did drink, he just kind of fell asleep in his chair, and, and that was the end of, end of the day. Didn't go out and get behind the wheel or anything like that, but it was definitely an addiction. And so I, I would look at that life and say, man, there's a need for God in that life. But he would say, no, I got my bases covered. I got a good job. I got my bills paid. I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of all my responsibilities. A pride keeps us from admitting our own need for God. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, how do we combat this enemy? How do we fight against pride? And the answer we started walking down last week in the series was the answer of humility. Humility is when we truly have a proper and right view of ourself and of others. Some would say it's a diminishing of oneself. I think sometimes humility gets a bad rap. No, I don't want to be humble. That's like, you got to like lessen yourself. You have to diminish yourself. But see, the, the, the truth of the matter is, it's not a lessening. It's a letting all the air out, right? Because pride is so, we've allowed to puff ourselves up and fill ourselves up with an emptiness that, that really, humility is just letting all that air out. I think that's why it feels like a lessening. It's a better view of, of who we truly are. Last week we spent some time in John chapter 3 where John the Baptist and Jesus end up in the same uh, area of water baptizing people and suddenly people start talking to John like, hey John, Jesus is showing you up here. I mean, his crowd is getting bigger than yours. What, what do you think of that? And John stayed the course in who he knew he was and who he was called to be. And he said, that's amazing because Jesus must increase and I must decrease. I've just come to prepare the way for the one and he's the one. And so, yeah, he is the one to go and follow. John remained humble. He points all the glory, all the focus to Jesus, not to, not to himself. He has a proper view of himself. See, humility, we talked about last week, it's not just thinking more of oneself or less of oneself, but it's to think of oneself less. Author and pastor Timothy Keller wrote a book called The Freedom of, Self-forget- Forget- the Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. I, I just love that mindset, that, that, that image, the this, this self-forgetfulness. You think, well, uh, but there's, there's things that, you know, that are important, right? There, there's, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal sometimes, right? Every day, every step, every moment, it, it, we have ourselves, right? 
We're, we're in that moment. And so this freedom to be able to say, man, I'm, I'm cared for, I'm taken care of. And, and his point here is when we trust in Jesus, when we have a life in God, and we can trust in him, man, that can uh, give us this freedom to be self-forgetful. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be here this morning. It'll be on the screen as well if you want to go digital and, and uh, use a Bible app or download one. We recommend YouVersion, Y-O-U version, or is the, the app you can download from a, your app store. We'll always put the scriptures on the screen as well. You can use a Bible in the the seat, you can take one and call it your own if you need one. If you know someone who needs one, definitely uh, those are available for that. But through this whole letter to the Philippians, Apostle Paul is writing this, and, and really the big picture he's trying to communicate is this call to be like Jesus, this call to emulate Jesus. He's saying, hey, here's all these different topics we can talk about, but at the end of the day, I, I want you to be like Jesus. If there's any confusion in anything I've said, look to who Jesus is and strive to be like him. Actually, roughly in the middle of the letter, actually we're going to read this here towards the end in Philippians 2, uh, verse 6 through 11, there's kind of this poem. And within this poem is the beautiful story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what Jesus did and what that accomplished. And so it's all as if this whole letter is pointing back to who Jesus is and what he's done and how we can be like him. And so if we start in chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to see this call to humility. He says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, Paul is saying that as you look at the life and the love of Jesus, do, do more of that. If you're a follower of Jesus and, and you've been walking with him for years, and you're not quite sure, hey, what's next? Man, the easy place to always go is look at the life of Jesus. Say, do, do more of that. Whatever he did, however he loved, however he engaged people. If you're new in a journey with God, and you just trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you're not sure what's next, one of the easy places you can always go is go to Jesus. This is why we a lot of times refer people to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, tell the story of Jesus when he walked this earth in the flesh, being both fully God and fully man. Because you can see how he interacted. You can see his love for people. Paul's saying, be like him. Do nothing out of your own selfish ambition. See, it's not a power grab why we do things. We're not trying to manipulate people. But we're generally counting others as more significant than ourselves, looking to the interests of others. That's what Paul is calling us to. What a beautiful picture of humility. Even if you're here this morning and you're still just investigating who Jesus is, I would encourage you to, to strive to be more like him. Because to do that, you've got to find out more about who he is. And that will lead you down this road of coming to know who he is and coming face to face with the grace that he's offered you, the forgiveness that's offered in his sacrifice. So there's both a, a self-forgetfulness piece of this, right, where we need to decrease so that jesus can increase but we're also seeing here in philippians 2 that humility has an awareness of others right there's awareness of others in our life others around us and what god is calling us to do in their life see pride puts us to the front of the line 
Pride says, hey, you are, are the first who should receive. Let's make sure you're taken care of and, and your desires are met because you know what? We're important. We're special. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. All right? And that's what pride tells us. And, and so I should be able to have my needs taken care of, my needs met. And, and maybe we don't admit it that arrogantly or we don't say it that clearly, but that's what the enemy of pride says. Says, nope, take care of yourself. Numero uno, number one, right off the bat. But humility says otherwise. Humility is a check valve on one's pride. When we start to puff ourselves up, when the pressure it gets too big because we keep putting more and more uh, empty air inside ourselves to look bigger, humility is this check valve that releases and all the air goes streaming out and keeps us humble. Keeps us with a proper view of self. See, humility is, is a mindset. Paul calls us to be of one mind, the mind of Jesus, to, to share in the attitude of Jesus. And so I think that's one place we can start. If we're going to combat pride, one of the first places we need to go is make sure that our mind is in the right place. Our attitude is when we're trying to say, hey, I'm, I'm striving to be, I'm trying to be humble. That's step one. But what's interesting about attitude is attitude is pointless, attitude is powerless apart from action. If you stop to think about it, it makes sense. You can have a bad attitude, and it's meaningless until it's put to action. Until you start complaining, until you start grumbling, until you start fighting with others and slamming doors and stopping your foot, it doesn't do anything until it takes action, right? I could be having a bad attitude right now, and no one knows until it takes action. Flip that. You could have an attitude of joy and happiness, but until that takes action, and it could be something as simple as, a smile, as a hug, as, as letting someone know, hey, I'm praying for you today. What a beautiful day. It's having a, a little bit of dance in your step. Attitude accomplishes nothing until there's action to it. It's a place to start. We need to have the same mindset, this attitude of humility, but it's got to take action. And you see this as well. Paul is calling not only the Philippians to have the same attitude of Jesus, but also the same action of Jesus. In verse 2, we're called to have the same love. In verse 3, to count others as more significant than ourselves. Verse 4, to look to the needs of others. And those who are starting to get nervous about this, thinking of others and counting them as more significant than ourselves, who are starting to get nervous, be like, well, where do I fit in all this? Does that mean that I don't get cared for? But we see, he also says in verse 4, in addition to your own. This isn't a, a sacrifice to the sense in which we don't have any of our needs met, but uh, to where we are considering others as more significant than ourselves. And so it takes the attitude of humility and the action of love. And where I want to close our time here this morning is just ask this simple question. What makes this so difficult? Why, why is pride so prevalent in our lives? Whether it, pours itself, whether it plays itself out in our own life, in our own actions, or that in, in others around us. Why is pride so hard to combat? Why is it so difficult to remain humble, to have an attitude that is uh, equal to, that, to the, the mind of Christ, of, of counting others as more significant than yourselves? Why is it so hard to take action on that? Oftentimes, I don't know about, I'd say oftentimes. I feel like I'm the guy in the store who gets asked where to find things. 
And I don't work in any of those stores. I don't know if it's just the way I dress, if I just dress like I'm in retail, or if I, if I just got one of those faces, like, that guy knows what he's doing, which is a lie. Um, or it's just, hey, that guy can help. Um, but there have been many stories where someone comes up to me and says, oh, excuse me, do you know what aisle this is in? And I said, no, but we can find out. Let's go. And um, we go find out together. See, what's going on there is people are seeing me through a certain lens. They're looking at me, and for whatever reason, they say, hey, that guy must work here. And that impacts how they interact with me. What's interesting is if they were to look at me and say, oh, that's just some guy shopping, they'd probably never even have a conversation with me. So just the fact that they had uh, this certain lens, it, it, it built their whole mindset, and it led all their actions. And the reason I lay this out is because I think one of the things that makes it so difficult to diminish our pride, to fight against pride, why I think it's so difficult to remain humble, why I think it's so difficult to share the attitude and the actions of Jesus, why I think it's so difficult to think of others as more significant than ourselves is because we have the wrong lens on. We're we're looking at people the wrong way. Just like others would look at me and say, he must work here, and that would affect their attitude and action towards me. We're looking at people the wrong way. Here's different ways I think we look at people incorrectly. I think a lot of times we look at people through a lens of fear. Not so much a fear for our own safety kind of thing, but we look at them and we, we see their needs and we, we start to think, what's it going to take to meet those needs? What's it going to take? How, how can we help with that? And all of a sudden we start to think about our own needs. We start to think about our own position. And like, well, hang, hang on a second. If I have this attitude of humility and I, I step out in these actions of love towards these people, what, what's going to happen to me? Who's going to take care of me? And we begin to have this lens of fear that in some way, by helping someone else and by, by, by seeing them as more important than ourselves, that that means that we're not going to be cared for. This is the equivalent of the office party where it's someone's birthday and you're asked to pass out cake and as you're cutting and passing, you're doing the math in your head to see, am I going to have a piece of cake if I keep passing? You're afraid that you're going to run out. There's not going to be anything left. And if you look at people through the lens of fear, if that's something that you struggle with, my encouragement to you is this. Fight to take off those glasses. Fight to take off that lens and replace it with a lens of God's promises, God's provision, and God's power. So we can look at the needs of others and get fearful. Whether it's a fear of, I'm not sure how I can help, or if it's a fear of, but what about my needs? We can take off that lens and put on a lens of God's power, God's provision, and God's promises. He has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He has promised to provide for our needs as he cares for uh, the birds of the sky and the flowers of the field. And those scriptures also say, and and those are just animals and, and, and plants. How much more do I care for you? How much more do I love you, my image bearers? He has promised us the indwelling and the power of the Holy Spirit for those who are trusted in Jesus Christ. So when we trust in Jesus for our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells inside of us. That's a whole other sermon series we can unpack, but one of the things that comes is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's where you end up having conversations like, I'm not even sure where I got that stuff, half of what I said, but it was God's Spirit, God working in and through you where you're able to show compassion, where you're able to, to reach out to someone that you normally look at through a lens of fear and instead say, man, I, I, I want to help you. How can I help you? If we put on the lens of God's promises, God's provision, and God's power, we know that nothing can separate us from his love. We're reminded of that. We're, as we look at the needs of others, we see that 
we have eternal life in Jesus by faith through grace. That when we trust in him, man, the end of our story is already written. Our eternity is with God in heaven. And I don't know about you, but that gives me so much freedom in how I live. Because see, I think sometimes we're afraid to make a mistake because we don't know how it's going to impact the end of the story. But if we know that the end of the story is already written, there's more freedom to try different things. There's more freedom to go out there because if we make mistakes, it's okay. The end of the story is already written. And so if you struggle with a lens of fear, I encourage you to take those off and put on the lens of God's promises, provision, and power. I think one of the lenses that we look at people through, and this is probably the one that I think is going to be most convicting for all of us, is a lens of judgment. Where we look at someone and we're quick to see the wrong that they've done, and a lot of times it's the same wrong that we've probably done in our life that we, we don't even see in ourselves. I think one of the, the, the truest forms of this and simplest forms of this is when we get behind the wheel and someone cuts you off or someone does something that frustrates you and you begin to curse. We can, we can admit that in church. It's okay. And you begin to curse and, and you begin to wave with only one finger and you begin to just lose it and you're going crazy. You're like, who do they think they are? And then there's a whole other scene that plays out where you're the one who did that to somebody else. And, and all of a sudden you realize what you've done and you think, Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I didn't see you there. I wasn't paying attention. And you know, if you could have a conversation with them, you, know, you, you could say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But this doesn't translate if you're laying on your own horn, especially if they're the one who just cut them off. It just, there's no way to share that sometimes. And yet when others seemingly wrong us, we look with a lens of judgment. But we look at our own issues, our own shortcomings. Man, we, we want Grace. We see a story where some religious rulers in Jesus' day had brought a woman caught in adultery before Jesus. And you can see their motives. They're really not seeking justice. Uh, they're just trying to catch Jesus in a lie. Because they don't bring the, the man either. They just bring the woman. They say, hey, according to the law, we can stone her. What should we do, Jesus? Thinking no matter which way he goes, they're going to find a way to kind of distort what he says. And Jesus eventually says, you're right, this is what the law says. So whoever's without sin you can throw the first stone. And it says they start just to walk away. The oldest first. And they just walk away because they realize, man, I, I got garbage too. Here we are judging, here we are condemning this woman to death, and yet we have so much garbage in our own lives. And so they all walk away, and Jesus looks up and says, woman, where are your accusers? And they can see they've all left. And she kind of affirms that, and he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so he, he calls her to this new life in him, but does it in a way that, that, that is calling her into something. It's not a, a judgment or a condemnation. And so if you struggle with a, a lens of judgment, I think we need to fight to take that off and replace it with a lens of compassion. I think compassion is a commodity that we are running low on in our culture these days, where we can see others in a way that we would desire to be seen. That mistakes and missteps, and let's go the other. Let's go. Let's expand that all the way out. The flat-out issues that people have, ourselves included, aren't the first thing that's seen that lead us towards a lens of judgment. But we can put on a lens of compassion, to where even those who maybe consider enemies in our life, or those who are adversaries, those who are just not very friendly. We can look at them and say, "Man, I have compassion for you. I long for you to experience good things." I long for you to come and know who God is if you don't already. 
or know him more if you do. I long for God's blessing to pour out in your life because I've experienced God's blessing and it's amazing. I know how it's changed me because I'm a mess too and I see how it works in my life and and I long for that. See, when we take off the lens of judgment and put on this lens of compassion, I think our attitude shifts and our actions change and we can approach people very differently. So sometimes we look at people with a lens of fear or a lens of judgment I think sometimes we just look through a lens of an indifference, right? Can you relate to that one at all? Where there's no other better way to put it, where you, you just you don't care. And I think sometimes um, you know pride uh, can, can view others as less because it's just this inflating of self, or uh, um, remind ourselves of the grace that we've experienced. <coughs> Excuse me. But we see others, and we're just we're indifferent. We're like I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I really care enough right now. If you struggle with the lens of indifference, this is why I think all these are an element of repentance in this. Um, but this is where we're struggling to have that attitude piece. If this is how we look, we're really struggling with that attitude. We don't have the mindset of Jesus. Because when Jesus sees people, his heart breaks because he loves them so. When Jesus even sees his accusers, even sees those who put him on the cross, There's a love and a compassion that he shows towards them. And so if you're struggling with indifference, I think our first step is one of repentance. And I would encourage you to try to put on the lens of a parent. So I think our creator God looks at his creation, and no matter how much we mess up, no matter how much of a mess we make, he sees us through the eyes of a parent. And that love is never exhausted. And that love never goes away. One of my favorite things, you know, I don't know about what you do in your family, but we try, we just, just, whether you intend to or not, you have things that you do in your family. You know, if you come over as a guest in our home and you sit down on our couch, that's pretty much an invitation to my kids to be their own personal jungle gym, and they just mob you and attack you. It's just something that happens in our house. We're working on it. But something else that happens in our home is um, at bedtime, we have this routine, or one of the things I always say to my kids is I love you, I always will no matter what. And each one of those pieces is significant. I love you. I, my, my, my heart pours out towards you. I, 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 I want great things for you. I want to be a part of making them happen, helping you grow. I always will. This, is, this isn't just a one-time thing, but this is my life. I will love you for all my life, no matter what. Just that reminder that it doesn't matter what you do, but that love will never change. And I know we're human, we're sinful, we're fallen. Maybe the the parental figure in your life wasn't that example of, I'll love you no matter what. But the heart of our Father is, I love you. I always have. I always will. No matter what. And when we look at people with those eyes, through that lens, how God sees them, Man, it's, it's, it's hard to stay in a place of indifference. It's hard to not care because you see them as who they are, as image bearers of God. And I encourage you in the same way that if you have kids or if you have little ones in your life, when you look at them, it doesn't matter what they've just done. It doesn't matter how frustrated you may be. You can look at them and see, man, I love you. I love you. And so maybe you struggle with the lens of indifference. 
or lens of fear, lens of judgment. This next one, I think, is more of a blinder we can put up. Because sometimes we have a hard time seeing past ourselves. We get so caught up in, in, in ourselves, we get so caught up in, it's, maybe it's not even intentional selfishness, but you just, you can't always see past yourself to realize that there's other people around you who are trying to accomplish something or have uh, other desires or needs or wants. Uh, there's a story about Muhammad Ali at a time when, when he was the, the current heavyweight champion uh, he was kind of a big deal at that time, obviously, and, and he was on a, a plane traveling on a 747, and he sits down, and the stewardess is doing all her checks to make sure they can take off soon, and one of the things that they have to do is make sure everyone's buckled in. They won't take off until everyone has their seatbelt on, and she walks past Muhammad Ali and realizes he's not wearing his seatbelt. So, sir, excuse me, can you please buckle your seatbelt, to which he kind of snaps proudly, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. Without missing the beat, she quickly retorts, Superman doesn't need a plane either. Please buckle your seatbelt. We can get so focused on ourselves, we don't realize there's other people around us who, who are trying to accomplish something else or have other needs or desires, even something as simple as, hey, everyone needs a seatbelt, I'm trying to get that done so we can take off. See, we have these lenses we look through, but sometimes we have the blinders of self. The blinders of self. And I think there's two different kinds of blinders we have on. The first ones are just from being unaware. Whether it's because our pride has so puffed us up that we just don't notice those around you, or are you just oblivious? But I think sometimes we're just generally unaware. We don't realize that there, there, there's an opportunity to live for the good of someone else. We don't op- realize there's an opportunity to have the attitude of Christ and, and, and to show his love. I think sometimes these blinders are things that we put on ourselves. Where it's like you, you kind of catch a glimpse out of your peripheral vision of, an, of a possible opportunity to help. So instead of turning and investigating more to see, hey, is this something that God has for me? Is there some way in which I can make much of Jesus in this opportunity? Instead, we say, I'm not sure this is a good time. I'm not going to see it. And we put up these fake blinders, pretend not to see it. But nonetheless, this, this pride, this focus on self can lead us to where we're unaware of the needs around us. And now, if that's something you struggle with, I just want to point you this next, next chunk in the Philippians. Remember the work of Jesus. And this is that poem I was telling you about. Philippians 2, 5 and on. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In this small little passage, we see the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the the work of what Jesus has done. We see the truth of who Jesus is. We see that he is fully God. That he is of the same nature as God. That God and he are one. But we also see that he came and lived fully man. He didn't assume that, hey, I'm always like that, but I will humble myself. Still being fully God, but I will take on the form of a man. Jesus came 100% God, 100% man, and lived a life in our shoes. He lived this perfect life but then he gave it up. He laid it down as a sacrifice, a payment for sin, so that when we trust in him, his sacrifice pays the price for our mistakes. 
and his perfection gets passed on to us as well. That when God sees us, he sees us as righteous. And it said he was exalted, he overcame death and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the throne of God. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. As we understand this, we see that we must decrease and humble ourselves and Jesus must increase. And one of the ways we do this, one of the ways we live this out is by taking off the blinders of ourself, living the freedom that comes with self-forgetfulness, counting others as more significant than ourselves, and making much of the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you, Jesus, for your uh, sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for your example that you lived. So just like Paul was calling out to the Philippians, we can hear in your word a call to us to be like your son, Jesus. Help us, Father, to have his attitude. When we want to put on a lens of fear or a lens of judgment, or a lens of indifference. Help us to have an attitude that is like Jesus's, who loves people, who has compassion for them, who shows and offers grace and forgiveness. Help us to have that same attitude, Father, and let that be what drives our actions, to humble ourselves and show love to others, counting them as more significant than we. And Father, in the midst of all that, I'll be honest, I get chills thinking about the lives that will be touched, the lives that will be changed, and the disciples that will be made as your church is sent out from this place to go and live a life of humility, a life of self-forgetfulness as we stand in the truth of who you are, God. Bring to mind ways in which we've been prideful. Humble us, Father. Help us to have your mindset. And then send us out to go and have your actions as we love others. We love you, Father. Always will. No matter what. Amen.